Hi, this is Joe Satriani, and you're listening to Signal to Noise. Hey, Gearheads, this is Scott Thompson from the Focus On Metal podcast. And when I'm not making or listening to metal, I'm listening to everything about gear with Aaron on Signal to Noise. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to episode 40, the big 4-0 of the Signal to Noise podcast. I'm your host, Aaron, and tonight I have back with me Sue Decree. Sue, how's it going? Hey, it's going well. Good evening, everybody. We're at a rainy night in Pittsburgh here. Well, at least I'm, I'm having a rainy night in Pittsburgh. Well, and you know what's funny about that is last week when I was recording, well, when I recorded, it was the next morning, but it was a very rainy night last Friday night, and uh, that's why I didn't record because my power kept flickering. I believe that. I believe that. We have I actually live about 20 miles north of Cranberry or north of Pittsburgh as you know, Cranberry Township and we are we are the power outage kings of Pennsylvania. Yes, every time it rains, thinks it might rain is looking like rain power goes out and we break out the candles. You know that is true. I, I it really is. never never thought about that, but man, you're dead on with that. <clears throat> All right, so Guys, I have Sue back tonight because Sue and I, we've known each other for what, 20 some years? Uh, at least, I think. Possibly 25 it, it, by now? It's got to be close to 25. I mean, we've known each other for, God, a quarter of a century. So we've known each other for a very long time. We've been um, playing guitar together for a very long time. And so <clears throat> we had her on you know, a couple episodes ago with Liz, and that was a fun episode. We were kind of talking about stuff. And then I keep thinking about like all these guitar rigs. So Sue and I have very, very different guitar rigs. And... Um, I thought it'd be fun for us to talk about it because, and kind of talk about where we came from, where we went to. Because Sue has what I call the Swiss Army knife of guitar rigs, and we'll get to that that current rig right now. But Sue, let, let's rewind back twenty years. So back in the day when we would have first started hanging out, playing, and making music, what was your rig like? Because I oh, honestly don't remember. Oh my goodness! Uh, when we first met, I was actually playing through. For the most part, a Marshall a Marshall micro stack. Yeah, um, Marshall micro stack. I, I, I did have the, the Marshall micro stack. See, yeah, I, I remember the KMD. I don't remember a Marshall. I had a KMD as well. I had the Marshall before I had the K. Actually, I think I had them both concurrently. But when I would do recording or anything, I of course plugged into the Marshall. Why? Because I'm a Marshall girl and a Les Paul girl. That's why. Um, but yeah, I had the Marshall and I had a. At some point when we were playing back in the day, I had 14 guitars at one time. Um, I don't remember what they all were right now, but uh, I, did have, I did have about 14 guitars. Now, what were you doing for effects at that point? The effects, I had a pedal board on top of a GSP unit, uh, a rack mount unit. Okay. Um, and the pedal board had a noise gate, it had a volume pedal, had a couple other pedals on it. So I was, uh, I was the effects queen as it were. I had GSP rolling. I had a, I think at one point I had made a custom foot switch for my GSP. And then I was, uh, I was also playing through the KMD half stack with the powered speakers, uh, way back when, when they, when they were playing around with making those. So I had that. I had the KMD. I had the powered speakers. Uh, actually, I think I had a full stack of KMD, didn't yeah, I? I you did. You did. Speakers. You had two power speakers because each one was 60 watts, if I'm not mistaken. And I remember it probably stood close to my height. <laughs> it probably did. It was, it was a fun amp to lug around, especially the powered speakers because they were way heavier than regular speakers. But it was also really versatile because you could, ta- you could easily adjust your wattage, so to speak, for whatever you were playing through. Mm-hmm. I could, All and right. that was uh, awesome. So yeah, I had the the pedal board. I had a custom foot switch for the amp and the uh, and the GSP one hundred, and I had like I said, like fourteen guitars. So you had a fairly digital rig from the get go, then, right? I did. I was. <clears throat> I am. I always will be the gadget queen. So I like my gadgets too, but I do tend to like them more on the analog side. I, I find this interesting because like, you know, you and I, we, we've grown up with technology, right? So we're, we would be considered Generation X, even though I don't like to talk about that. 
but we we were there, you know, kind of pre the digital age. We were, we were there from the, the birth of it, and we've been growing up with it as it's been developing. You know what I mean? Right. Mm-hmm. So I find it interesting that you've been digital, stayed digital, and then I've kind of I kind of dabbled in digital and came back. But um, so let's talk about the Morants. So guys, I I have to I I need to gush about the Morants. So. Sue and I both have four track recorders back in the day, cassette four tracks, right? That's how we used to record everything. I that is Fostex, how we used to record. Right. I had the mm-hmm. Fostex X28H. You had the Morantz. I don't remember the model number, but I need to describe this board. So picture what looks like a professional, probably like eight to 12 channel mixing board. Just, just like you want to talk about gear lust. This thing just looked amazing. Just with the sliders, the analog meters, it was just absolutely gorgeous and then it was a recorder and on top of that it was a Morantz and at the time Morantz was probably one of the top names in you know tape recording it was it, it absolutely was and as you know I I do not skimp on gear no I, mean, I will just, uh, it was just it I I will live in a cardboard box before I have a cheap guitar <laughs> <laughs> It it sounded good it looked beautiful like like this this is one of those things that um you know, looking back, it should have been the piece of, piece of gear that you kept just to have because it, it'd be a great conversation piece now. Because, like, my Fostex, it looked like something that was built between the 80s and 90s. Because, you know, there's that there's that age where technology couldn't find itself, so everything in the 80s was very boxy is before, yes. before Apple introduced the, hey, technology doesn't have to look boxy. Technology can look elegant, right? That's, that's really right. kind of an Apple idea. But Morantz was hooking on to this before Apple you know, shaped our world as we know it today. And this, this, this Morantz board just looked beautiful. All right. And then what was your computer rig at the time? My computer rig at the time, uh, was an Apple, uh, Mac SE. It was, it was one of the original apples from the eighties. Um, at the time there were no audio recording programs per se. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, but everything was MIDI. So I grudgingly, uh, grudgingly went back to playing piano. For those of you who don't know, um, I'll give a brief, brief aside to the story. I was, uh, I was about six years old when I started playing guitar. So I've been playing for uh, <coughs> years. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, so I've uh, been playing for a long time, but when I first started playing guitar, my dad had this beautiful classical guitar, and I wanted to play that guitar. And we went to the music store and wanted to take guitar lessons on my dad's guitar, and they kept saying, no, your fingers are too small, you're this, you're that, blah, 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 play piano. And I was like, no, <laughs> I, I don't want the piano. Can I pop the lid and play it with a pick? I don't think so. Um, my parents decided that I was going to play piano cause that's what everybody at the music store suggested. And, uh, I refused to practice that instrument until the day when my mother said, if you don't practice, I'm not paying for lessons. I considered this a victory. She thought it was a punishment. <laughs> Go figure. Um, so I kept noodling around with my dad's guitar and that's really the start of when I got into it. Um, so Long story short, too late, I know. <laughs> um, wait, where was I going? Um, your computer rig. I yes, think is where we started. I think we started. So when I hit the computer rig, um, I grudgingly, it was the 80s, I grudgingly had to go back to a keyboard because we did not have MIDI guitars at that point. We did not have audio recording on computers per se, not in the kind of digital quality that you have now. Like right now you can go into GarageBand and you can actually make a fairly convincing demo in GarageBand. As a matter of fact, I've had a couple people tell me that the crap I record in GarageBand actually sounds better than people who have paid thousands upon thousands of dollars to go record professionally. Um, so it didn't exist in that sort of thing. So if you wanted any kind of control, any kind of computer interface with your music, you had to play keyboard. So I grudgingly went back to keyboard in the 80s and played um, keyboard and some, you know, laid my drums down or 
as Aaron says, um, I got the octopus out. No kidding. And put him behind the kit. Um, but I, I, I laid my drums down. I laid whatever keyboard parts I wanted down. And then I would record that onto the Morantz straight out of the audio outputs of there. And then I would play my guitar on top of it. And my at the time, I was plugging into my GSP and going directly out of my GSP into the Morantz so I could record my guitars. So, and that was where you had the A-frame full of um, the keyboards, I had keyboards, I had drum machines, I had, um, I had a couple other gadgets too, and I don't remember what they were, but yeah, I had the keyboards and the, the A-frames, I had two or three keyboards on there, I had drum machines on there, I had the Marantz on there, at one point I did have an actual um, live sound 24 channel, or 16 channel mixer, I, I think, um, so I actually at one point had multiple keyboards running into the mixer and then out to the Marantz so that I could kind of do, uh, you know, bass and drums and whatever else. And I mean, I always preferred real instruments, but if I can, as Aaron can tell you, I'm a bit of a control freak, just a hair, just a little tiny bit of a control freak. So if I can put something together without having to worry about the drummer showing up late, the saxophone player not showing up at all, the tuba player losing his tuba, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, love you, Jan Dietrich. Anyway. Uh, oh my goodness, I forgot about that. That's right. That was a real story. That was a real, the, the oh lost goodness. tuba was a real story. Yes. Um, but what have you, if I could, if I could put something together oh, without, yeah. you know, without having to rely on other people and just being able to keep it internal, I would do that. And I don't want to say I sacrificed on the sound because you know how much time and effort I put into crafting the sound and crafting the, uh, yeah, I would sit there and I would mess with those synthesizers until I got the sound that I wanted and oh, the sound yeah. that fit. Um, so I never compromised on the sound, but, you know, to be, for me to be able to keep that tight and internal and not have to rely on other people meant that I could do it when it needed to be done and I could get it done and I could put it out. Well, and And I actually still have those albums, by the way. Oh yeah. No, I remember you, you made me some copies, but so you actually introduced me. But see, it was good stuff though, because you you introduced me to the whole sequencing thing and and really computer computerized music, computer com- composed music, something like that. But yes, yeah, computer composed. I'd never seen rock. a real rig set up like that until like I started hanging out with you, and then of course we started doing like our parts live, and then we sequence you know synths and drums and that sort of stuff, and change the parts up. And then, uh, like your rig, your rig keeps getting smaller, but we'll come back to that part here. So then, so my rig at the time, I would have been, I guess I was really, the majority of everything I had was analog, but I would, I was starting to dabble in digital effects. So I was picking up stuff like the Zoom 1010, then the, um, the RP10 by Digitech, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and and that was like my guitar stuff. And I, I love digital for guitar, but when it came to bass, and I've wrote about this, and I think I've talked about it on previous podcasts. But when it came to bass guitar, and that's primarily my instrument, I could not find a digital multi-effects that would give me all the sounds I wanted. Right? And and that's why that's why I've gotten into pedals. And then also more recently, like pedals, they're much smaller than the guitars, so they're easier to collect. You know, and and I want one of all of them. So that's one of those things. So you know what's funny? I think I actually have more guitars than you now. I think you do. Right, I'm down to five. You're da- so I'm at least 13, 14. And just here in, in my in my current house, um, my parents have a couple of my guitars at their house. And for all I know, I might have one somewhere else. Who knows? Um, so what, what led you to consolidate your rig down so much? Well, there were two things that led me to do that. The first is I had I still had seven or eight guitars when I lived in New York City. Now, for anyone who's ever lived in New York City, you know seven or eight guitars is roughly the size of your apartment. Um, I was going to say that. When I came home, um, 
you know, when I came home, I had a bunch of stuff in storage for about a year when I left New York. Um, and I went over there the one day and I looked at all the stuff in storage and said, I haven't used any of it. Haven't touched any of this crap in a year. I was tired of paying 15, 20 bucks a month in storage and there was nothing there that I needed. So I pulled up the uh, station wagon, actually, that I was driving at the time, and we loaded everything into that station wagon. I took it directly over the church and dumped it on their lawn for the white elephant sale, for the flea market that they have over at the church. And ever since then, I have become a reverse hoarder. (laughs) Yeah. I have... I I have looked around and I love my parents dearly. Um, But I look at like my mom's favorite chair and there's just crap all around it. And I go downstairs and I look in every nook and cranny and there's stuff just packed in there. And it's stuff that never gets used. I'm not talking about Christmas decorations or Halloween decorations, you know, things that come out once a year. I'm talking about crap that's never been used. Um, my father, as you know, and as I believe I mentioned in previous podcasts, uh, was a law enforcement officer, was a police officer, and he has books and reports and things that he kept from his time on the force. Now, I find some of his stories absolutely fascinating, if not downright hysterical. That's a completely different podcast. But I've, I've, some of his stories are absolutely hysterical. And I'll give you an example. They pulled over. They were getting, uh, what else? Coffee and donuts. And <laughs> they're sitting in their car with their coffee and their donuts. And all of a sudden, they hear, boom. They got rear-ended while they were parked legally at a, you know, in front of the donut shop or the coffee shop or the whatever by some drunk guy driving who just like <laughs> swerved off the road and rear-ended the cop car. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. Oh my goodness. No. You you can't. So so, you know, again, I digress. I usually do, but that's okay. You all find it amusing. I know you do. <laughs> um, but, you know, you can't make that stuff up and some of those things are absolutely hysterical and I keep telling them. I I actually went as far as to buy him uh, a domain and blog space so that he could put some of his stories out there. Cause they're just so, some of them are so funny. There were actually, uh, when he was an state investigator for, for the state of Pennsylvania, he actually pioneered several methods of investigation that they use now. And I kept telling him, you know, you got to put this stuff out there, but he won't, he just kind of collects these old books and things that he never uses and, you know, all his reports and all the, yeah, stuff. So there's just my house, or not my house, my parents' house is full of hoarded items that no one will ever use or see or need. So let me interject here real quick. Are, are your parents the baby boomer generation or are they the generation previous? They are actually, uh, they're actually World War II babies. Okay. Uh, they were pre- boomer they were born just they were be between the wars gotcha gotcha so um they were depression babies so it, and here's why i ask because like my, my grandparents were very similar in in mm-hmm. that regard and i find it very interesting that like the, the the depression era children so to speak like they have great stories. There's so many things to be told and they just, they're just like, yeah, it was just, it was just what we did. It was just our lives, you know? Well, you know, and the other thing is, you know, the other half of that is that waste, not want not. Yes. Exactly. You know, and, and aside from, you know, and, and it never ceases to amaze me. I know I've had the conversation with many friends. Um, you, I believe are one of them. Yep. And in how we have become a nation of whiners and how we started out as a nation of entrepreneurs, go-getters, and inventors. You know, we started out with this. We started out doing those sorts of things. And, you know, now it's me, 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 me. And it's not something that I understand personally. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and, and I'm sure it's not something that a lot of other people understand as well, because we were raised by a generation. If you look what the World War II generation gave up, I mean, those guys did some amazing, yeah. amazing things. My uh, my godfather was actually a bomber. Uh, he he was the bombardier in a, you know, uh, in in a war plane during World War II, and I can't remember which plane it was. But again, there were some fascinating stories. But to them, it was just living. Yeah, it's just know? their duty. You did this because it was the right thing to do. And we don't have that sentiment anymore. No, but you know what? This is a different podcast. Let's bring it back to gear. Okay, gear. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm totally with you, and we could go off on a tangent. I'm like, no, no, we, we got we to talk about this gear. Because now, today, you know, you've done all this paring down, and you literally have what I call the Swiss Army knife of guitar rigs. So I do. So what's, what's your current setup? My current setup, I have, um, we'll start with what I don't have. Uh, currently I do not have an amp because I haven't been playing out, so I didn't need one. So in, in my anti hoarding raid, (laughs) I, I have cleared out all the ampage. Um, what I do use is I use, uh, amp kit by agile partners, big fan, (sighs) love agile partner stuff. I use amp kit and I record directly into either GarageBand or Logic Pro. Now, at some point, as I finish writing up the album and get everything ready to go, I will need an amp. Um, I'll cross that bridge when I find it, but it will most likely be a Marshall. Um, <laughs> but I, so that's that's what I have as far as my sound goes so- because I. Let's let's just expand on that for a second here. So, no amplifier. Would you have thought, you know, 20 years ago, like back in the 90s when we started hanging out, that we'd get to a point where we did not need the amplifier at all? You know, I'm going to say yes. Well, that's because you're like, you predict the future and stuff. You're, you're, I, I do. You're, you're kind of I crazy do. like that. I do. And, and name me one prediction that I've made that's been wrong. Yeah, I, I don't want to talk about it because it really does creep me out. Because you, you're, you're right just way too much. So I have to share this story real quick so listeners will find this interesting. Um, I would disappear for, t- for a time and nobody would know where I was, right? Like, so, so it'd just be like, you know what? I need to get away. I'd go visit a friend. That friend's phone would ring. It'd be Sue. True story. Like, How did you find me? She's like, well, I really can't disclose it. But nobody knew where I was. I'd be like, and this is back before social media, so it's not like I was easily tracked. I'm not putting GPS anywhere. And Sue so would just I just answer like, how do you even know I'm here? Right? How how is this even possible? How'd you find this number? Right? So Sue really does have some uncanny abilities, like on otherworldly levels here. I, I do. And does creep me out. So, so you saw this coming. I didn't see that amplifiers weren't going to be here, right? Like, I I, would never I saw come. it coming. I think because one of the first things that my parents did was buy us a computer when when they came out. And I mean, I'm talking like Texas Instruments computer back in the '80s. Uh, actually, I think I'm talking 1980 before they actually caught on. So 1980. Computers haven't caught on yet. Uh, you know, the whole Apple revolution hasn't taken place yet. But my parents had the foresight enough to know, hey, this is going to be a big thing. Um, and yes, we're going to need to get our kids into this. Well, my brothers really didn't use it that much. And back in 1980, you either programmed or you didn't use the computer because there pretty much was no program. Now there's basic language. I had my basic book as a kid because I, right. I, I had the TRS 80 back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, I had, I want to say mine was a Texas Instruments T100. Was that it? Uh, it's either T100 or the T1000. No, T1000 the is T1000 Terminator. Is Terminator. <laughs> <laughs> it was ironically also the name of my favorite little car oh. that my brother totaled. Just saying. Well, all right, darn him. But anyway, I know, right? So back in the eighties, the computer, and you either programmed or you didn't use the computer. So I, from ten years old on, I think I just carbon dated myself. 
I programmed a computer. You know, I got the basic book out. I programmed my little moving block guy who did something akin to like a Debbie Harry dance. And <laughs> I had to, so I got kind of the hands on and hands in the computers. And I knew what they would become capable of doing because things get smaller but bigger. You know, so the size of the computer has shrunken. You know, my laptop now is smaller than my T100 was. Um, you know, my laptop, my my iPhone, heck, does more than the T100 did, and it's a fraction of the size. Yeah, no kidding. Your iPhone's probably just about as big as the uh, floppy disk it took to run it. It, it, it is. Actually, mine didn't run on floppy disk. I had to use cassettes. Oh, no way. I had a cassette, too. And, uh, you know, the funny thing back up, uh, about basic language at the time is each computer had a different language. Like my friend Rob up the street, uh, Rob Carson, was he had a computer and we would try and put his cassette tapes on my computer and my cassette tapes on his computer. It would never work because they didn't speak the same language. You ever play them back just to listen to what was on there? I didn't. I played some of them backwards. And you could clearly hear it say, okay, bad 80s joke. <laughs> that, was anyway. that was great. But like, it was just bleeps and blips, right? It always, it always just fascinated me. I'm like, how did they ever figure this out? I, did, I used to listen to them. It drove everyone nuts. Everybody yeah. hated it. Well, because I just wanted to know, you know, like, like it's a cassette tape. Like, what's it doing? So you, you put it in, you listen to it. It's got all these crazy tones on it. Mm-hmm. Right? All right. So you saw this coming. And I did. So we, you have no amplifier. Like for me, like I went through the journey of getting the Line Six Pod, and then um, I think Mike, my buddy Mike, talked me into, um, and it's a different Mike that's been on the show um, than has been on the show rather. But um, he talked me into getting the first Amplitude plugin because if you bought the first Amplitude plugin at a certain time, you get a free upgrade to Amplitude Two when it was released. Mm-hmm. So I bought that, and then that's when I went ampless for a while. Like, I really didn't worry about any guitar amps or anything like that. And it's only been in the, probably in the 2010s that I started getting back into guitar amps. Mm-hmm. All right. So then now talk, tell us about, like, your guitar setup. Because you, okay. you have, what, three three electrics right now, right? I have – well, I actually have four electrics. Okay. Um, <laughs> the, the Dean, the cheap project guitar, that's on loan to your, to your buddy Bobby Ross. Gotcha. I forgot about the Dean. <laughs> yeah, I have, I have the Dean. Uh, actually put – it, the, the Dean was a cheap $200 guitar. I, I bought it just to have a beater and to have a project guitar. And when I got it, the trim was whacked out. The neck was off. The intonation was horrible. I got it all fixed. I fixed all of it myself. And I popped out the stock pickups and put in a set of uh, rail hammers. And, oh, my God. The rail hammers cost as much as the guitar. <laughs> But you know what? It sounds like a freaking $1,000 guitar now. So I don't know how much more I'm going to do to the Dean because it just sounds awesome. It plays really well. Um, it, it has actually become I, – I leave it downstairs and I practice on it when you know there's nobody else in the house. I go downstairs and I practice on the guitar. I use the Dean for that. Um, so that is about my only unitasker, as Alton Brown would say. Um, I'll start with my next least Swiss Army knife okay. guitar, which would be my Godin Classical Electric. Oh, okay. See, I, I really wasn't considering that electric, but you're right. It's pretty much a th- a th- just a thin body electric. I have uh, – so basically all of my guitars are electrics. Uh, it is a very thin body, which I was looking for. Um, and I will explain to those of you who have not met me personally. Um, I have spent most of my adult life being about 200 pounds overweight, um, 55 of which I'm happy to say are gone now. Um, and for me, I realized at some point that – in order to build my chops back up to where they were when I was playing. And uh, I'm sure Klaus is going to call me out on this. Uh, But when I was playing 
eight to 12 hours a day. No, I'm lying. When I was playing, <laughs> you know, a solid two to three hours a day, probably maybe f- I might have been playing eight hours on, on days that I didn't have to work or didn't have to go to school. But um, I'm sure only two of those hours really counted as practice. Uh, so, you know, um, what I discovered was I needed thin bodies because I had the extra weight. And I was trying to get my chops back. And when I would hold my, my big bulky acoustics or a standard size classical, it actually was uncomfortable to hold and I couldn't get my hands right. So I switched to almost entirely electrics, mostly because of my weight. And, um, you know, I'll be perfectly honest about that and perfectly frank about that. So when I was looking for a thin line classical electric, you know, I went through a Fender, which actually was a really nice guitar, but the neck was just a little too thin. So I couldn't really get in there to do my, my classical style chops. Um, you know, not that they are anything to marvel at these days. They were at one point, I was actually a pretty solid classical player back in the day, but not, not now. Um, so I needed something thin. And of course I don't have a ton of microphones or anything I have. Uh, well, I'll get to that in a minute. So I don't have a ton of microphones and my space, um, is my bedroom, my office and my recording studio. So I needed something that could plug in because I don't have a lot of extra room for microphones and mic stands and all that other stuff. I live in an eight by 10 space, you know, that's, that's my area yet. Yes, I live in a house, but when it comes time to music and working and all that stuff, uh, due to the constraints of everyone else in the house, I'm, I'm in this room. So I got the Godan because the neck was a little bit wider. The body was thin and it has some really cool electronics on it. So I can, I can actually, aside from, you know, basement, treble, and mid, I can actually electronically adjust the body depth so I can make it sound like a fatter acoustic or a fatter classical. So I'll get gorgeous. a little more resonance out of it. And that was important to me because I... You know, and again, I'm going to digress because that's what I do. Yeah. Uh, when I, my first introduction to guitar was Charo. Um, I can't remember if it was the Carol Burnett show or, or what it was that I saw her on, but the first time I was introduced to real guitar, it was Charo playing Maligena. And I fell in love with the Spanish guitar, the classical guitar sound, that nylon string sound when I saw that. And as you, as you well know, that has been, uh, very much part of my sound always. Um, so I, I like the idea that I can, I can make that body sound thinner or I can make that body sound fat with the slide of, of a slider. That was, that was, that was a big selling point to me that I could, that I could, hone in my tone on a guitar and I wasn't just relegated to whatever they gave me. Yeah. And it's, it sounds so good too. <laughs> Cause I've, I've never been a big, big fan of those style guitars, but that one just sounds great. Oh my God. And it plays so well. It really oh. does. The next, let's see. Eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Um, I'm going to go to the Les Paul next. It is an Les Paul. It's an Epiphone Les Paul ultra three. Um, couple of reasons I bought this guitar and I think I sent you the the link to this one, didn't I? Yes, you did. Actually, it's a Les Paul, which is, I mean, there you go. I'm sold. (laughs) Um, but it's a Les Paul. It's got a modern C neck and it's got a hollowed out body and just above the neck pickup is a pickup designed to pick up, ho-ho, hee-hee, har-har, all puns intended, no matter how bad they may be, the acoustic resonances of the chambered-out body. So you get the double, you get the, the double humbucker sound of a Les Paul, woo-hoo, um, and you get 
kind of an acoustic sound as well. So I can tap it out in stereo and do an acoustic to one end and, and an electric to another if I want. I can set it out in mono, do one at a time. I can send it out in mono and kind of squeeze them both together. But it is actually a fairly convincing acoustic guitar sound. Um, it also has a USB out so that I can record directly from the guitar, which to me is a big, big thing because I don't, uh, you know, I don't always have extras around since I am on an anti-hoarding, uh, anti-hoarding thing, you know, um, I have a Fender and it is a Fender. It is a Fishman triple play Strat. Um, and for those of you not familiar, the triple play is actually a wireless MIDI system. Oh yeah. So I don't need keyboards anymore, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, small furry animals of all ages. <laughs> I can play it straight from my guitar. Oh yes. So basically it is a wireless MIDI system. There is a USB dongle that plugs into your computer and then it's plug and play. I plug it in. I can drive any synthesizer that I have on my Mac through the guitar. It tracks pretty well. Um, I do tend to use a fret wrap with it because it is super sensitive and it tends to pick up all of the extra harmonics. So it's tricky. You've got to be very clean with your picking. You've got to be very clean with your left hand. Uh, or your fret hand if you happen to be a, a lefty guitarist. And you have to, and I use a fret wrap to keep everything very, very clean on that. But I have gotten, some, and you've heard some of the stuff that I've done on that. I've gotten some pretty good results. Oh, yeah, it's killer, right? And so I just need to point out, um, when Sue and I met, right, she she stated at the beginning that she's a Gibson girl, right? So always been playing Les Pauls, Gibsons, that sort of stuff. I've been a Fender Fender guy since birth at this point. Like, I feel like I was just born to play Fender. I cannot even begin to tell you over our 25 years of friendship here how much ribbing I've taken about being a Fender guy. So when she called and, me... And vice versa. Well, I mean, you know. Yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> fair, fair is fair, right? But so when she called me to tell me that she bought a Fender, like, I think my immediate response was, holy crap, the Mayans were right. Right, it's true. Because I, I think wasn't it right around 2012? <laughs> it was. It would have been 2012. Yeah, yeah it was. Because uh, uh, I bought my three, three of my four primary guitars at yeah. that point. Yeah, it, like it just blew my mind. But then you're explaining everything you can do. I'm like, this is really, really cool. Like, like both of those, like the, the Gibson and the and the Fender. There, I, I want to have both of those. Like, I, th I think Epiphone's been doing a lot of cool stuff. Like, I've talked on this show. I have my Epiphone SG, which actually you helped me get. I right? did because we did that at the Sonic Valley Guitar Show. We did. Um, so it's all my fault that you have a Gibson. I, well, you know what though? Like, I've never been anti-Gibson. I've just been pro Fender. Like. Because I, I, I love Gibson. I grew up watching Ace Frehley, and so I love Les Pauls. Big, you know, ACDC fan, so of course I have to have an SG. My SG is probably one of my favorite guitars right now, and it's not even like a full-blown SG. Now, we've talked about all these super cool toys that do a lot of things, but here's the Swiss Army knife. All right, lay it on us. Line 6, uh, Tyler Variax. James Tyler Variax, Line 6. And this, this is the one I keep calling the Demonator. It, it is. Um, this guitar is just incredible. I bought it on a whim because I needed to, like I said, I need to conserve space. I have just enough room in my closet and I have like the closet is set up so that all of my guitars are hanging from the wall so I can reach up and grab any one of them and play. So, I have the Line 6 Variax. Now, the reason I bought the Variax is it is the ultimate Swiss Army guitar. This guitar, aside from being a super shredder model, um, kind of a super strat, double humbuckers, uh, Floyd Rose, Trem, <laughs> go figure. Uh, again, did I mention I was a Marshall girl and a Les Paul girl? Uh, so super strat, super thin neck, 
awesome, awesome action. Stands alone as an actual, just straight up guitar. It sounds great. The kicker is it's got piezoelectric pickups on the bridge. And these pickups feed into the most wonderful set of electronics ever. The, um, the guitar models 29 other guitars. So at the flip of the switch, I can have acoustics, electrics. I can have strats. I can have tellies. I can have Les Pauls. I can have Les Paul specials. I can have jazz boxes. I can have a Gretsch. I can have a Rickenbacker. I can have any number of acoustics. I can have any number of 12 strings. I can do a banjo, distorted banjo with a whammy bar, anyone? Well, yes, I've got that. That, that, I think that's the one that just pushed me over the edge when you were here showing me that one is, is when you're like, check out the banjo. I'm like, okay, I think I'm done. Cause it sounds, it sounds so cool. And then I did the, um, and then it, you can do, uh, it has an electric sitar programmed in as well. Does it also have like just drop tuning as well? Well, here's the beauty. Not only can I pick any one of 29, uh, guitars, there's actually a whole set of soft there there's a program that goes with it i can configure my own guitar body type pickup type pickup angle i i actually took my variax and created myself a set of a, an entire bank of five six string basses the aside from being able to flip guitar models at the flip of a switch, the, the turn of a knob, I can have any one of several pre-programmed tunings, whether it's standard tuning, drop D, uh, minor third down, major third down, drop C, baritone tuning. There are so many tunings that are available. Plus, if I go back into the software, I can create my own tunings, which is how I did the basses. So this is the ultimate Swiss army knife. And my latest trick, because I can do all of this from one guitar, my latest trick is to actually go in and write songs that have multiple guitar parts. And those guitar parts are all in different tunings. So it's added a whole layer. It's added layers to my sound and to my creativity because I can just pick up something and start playing it. And if I feel like dropping a, a, an, a, an acoustic reggae something in the middle of my death metal piece, I can do that with just flipping a switch. It is amazing. And the fact that I now have whammy bars on any number of acoustics <sighs> please i didn't even think about that like oh i did that's kind of kind of kind of killer right there i also thought about whammy bars and distortion on the sitar (laughs) yeah i went there now how does it okay so is is the distortion built in too like is it like line six like amp modeling built into the guitar as well or are you running through something else i i run it through amp kit okay gotcha gotcha now so is this a USB out on this guitar or is this like a special interface? Like, like, like how, how are you standard quarter inch? Okay. Um, and also it has a line six, uh, proprietary out. Okay. So it will feed into the pod 500 HD. Do you have that? I can't remember. I used to. Okay. That's what I thought. I I'm, I've decided I'm, the next outboard piece of gear that I buy is going to be the helix, the line six helix, okay. because it does way more. It's kind of like the pod 500 HD, but it's, it's built for pros and the sounds are actually better. The architecture is different. Uh, the, the actual architecture behind the modeling is different. It sounds better. It's more rugged construction so that's going to be my that's going to be my next outboard piece of gear man and the amp modeling on that is amazing like you could use that you could use the helix i've actually heard the helix plug straight into 
like a PA system. And it sounds amazing. It sounds absolutely amazing. Line 6 have really been pioneers. You know, I mean, if you think about it, like Line 6 was the first company to really start doing it. They started started doing this modeling back in the Pro Tools, you know, when Pro Tools started coming about. Then they started moving into the consumer market, you know, and then, like, I remember when I first saw, like, the Line 6 guitars and the Variax, like, a lot of them came without any kind of pickup, so they looked weird. I'm just like, man, I, it just didn't feel right. And mm-hmm. then when you brought the one that you have, th- this looks cool, right? It's got like the cool factor of the guitar. It plays li- like you'd said, like, like the super strat kind of guitar, but it's all these sounds, you know, li- like we've, we've come so, f- come so far. And I-, I think that line six did a lot of the groundwork for companies like fractal. What's the, what's the other one? There's fractal. Oh, they're, they're, they're almost a dime a dozen now. But there's, I mean, there's, is it, Kem- yeah, I think it's Fractal and Kemper. So like Fractal Audio, and then I think it's the Kemper Profilers where you can like literally like basically digitally clone like a 68 Marshall or whatever and then mm-hmm. tweak it in the software. So like Line 6 laid the ground groundwork, but they're still, still like, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, innovating. They're still, they're innovating. still relevant. Yeah. I mean, Line 6, and I know a lot of people diss Line 6. And if you listen to spider amps and try and crank a spider amp, you're not going to get the sound. Spider amps are mostly designed for beginners and, and bedroom noodlers. Um, but when you move up the, the Line 6 food chain, as it were, and you get into you know, the $1,500 range and, and all of that and some of their sounds systems there they've come out with some incredible sound systems and you know the firehawk is just amazing um i I think line six is really they are to me what apple is to the computer world i I can totally see that you know they have they've designed it yes they've designed the back end meticulously but the interfaces the usability, the fact that I can pick up my guitar and play, you know, grinding metal and flip to an acoustic in matter of, you know, the snap of a finger is just amazing. Yeah. And it is, to me, this is the one guitar. I, I could get rid of every other guitar I had except the Godin because it actually does not have a, a classical uh, model in there and it's got a steel string acoustics but not uh, nylon string acoustics so I could get rid of the Fender I can get rid of the, the Les Paul I can get rid of the Dean and I won't really miss them as much as it pains me to say that I could get rid of a Les Paul without you know missing <laughs> it um, I mean that, that that's ter- yeah. it, it is painful to me to have to say that but I can get rid of pretty much all my other instruments and I won't miss them because all of that is in the line six. And as far as the MIDI functionality, I can still play keyboards. I mean, I, I learned how to do it. I know how to do it. I can play a keyboard. I don't necessarily need the MIDI function on the guitar, but it is a nice to have, you know, because it's an instrument that I'm comfortable with and it's an instrument that I can play. Um, no, I will say this. My my keyboard lines from guitar sound a lot different than my keyboard lines from a keyboard. So at some point, I'll probably pick up a keyboard again. But um, you know, just so, just to get that variation in writing yeah. and that variation in style. Um, but, I mean, it's just I've got four guitars staring me in the face right now. And, you know those four guitars give me an entire band's worth of instruments. You know, I can, I can do anything, anytime, anywhere I've got, uh, you know, I've got a, a, a store full of guitars just in the line six. And then all the MIDI stuff that I can do with the Fender, I can, <laughs> you know, I don't need to have a keyboard. I don't need to have a MIDI piano somewhere. I can just pick up a guitar and noodle out some keyboard parts and I can do so fairly convincingly. Oh yeah. Yeah. And and that's, that's, I think this was blown my mind is that we are, we are really in like, 
I think I think we're in the best age to be a guitar player because it's a great time to be a musician. Yeah, we we've got like amazing analog gear because like I mean, as I turn to my right here, and honestly, even sitting in front of me, I've got analog boxes on the desk and all around me, and all all these new analog pieces of gear. Plus, you know, analog pieces of gear they're like twenty, thirty years old at this point. But then they pair wonderfully with digital. Like we, we have this amazing meshing of old and new technology right now. You know, honestly, you know what? It's, this is almost like the steampunk era for guitar. If you think about it, it is. And the the really, what I think is even more amazing is, um, uh, I, I won't mention names to protect the innocent, but I know I have friends who have gone into studios who have paid thousands upon thousands of dollars um, to to record things that, quite frankly, didn't sound that good. Um, and yet, you can do that on your laptop now. Yep. And to me, it's so amazing. Now, one of the reasons that I'm going to be going into a studio is, quite frankly, it's too distracting for me, personally, to have to try and record and play um, you know, it's not that hitting the record button is, is a, is a major issue and playing through the parts is not a major issue, but the having to try and get the mix right, the having to try and get the mastering right, the having to try, all of that stuff is a completely different subset of knowledge. And I would rather put my time and effort into the music. Let me play with my gear and get the sounds that I want and need. And then, you know, not, and I, you know, I actually recently uh, listened to an interview with a a singer that I really liked, uh, really like. And when she writes, she, she says she just puts her phone on top of the piano and starts writing and recording directly into her phone. I mean, if that doesn't tell you how far we have come technologically, yeah, no kidding. When when you can do a demo run of a new song on your phone, I mean that is just amazing. Well, I mean, think about the wiretap. Like I was telling you about the wiretap, and I mean, yeah. I, I talked about it a couple episodes ago on the podcast here, but like the wiretap is essentially a hard disk recorder that is sitting on my board all the time, and I step on it to turn it on. Right, like. Who would have thought, I mean, it's a no-brainer, like, I can't believe it took this long to get one, but who would have thought that you would have ever had a recorder mounted to your guitar rig? You know, when you think about what it used to take us to do just to get, Mm -hmm. you know, just to get a cassette recording back in the day on on the Marantz, you know? Oh, I remember that. Um, And the one final piece that I have is also a Line 6. I, I don't know if you can hear the box sliding open right now or not. I can, oddly enough. Uh, yes. It is my Line 6 Sonic Port VX. So this is a microphone. It's got an omnidirectional microphone in it, stereo omnidirectional. And it's got a direct in for your guitars. And it's got headphones out. You can do an aux in. And it's got two adapters. It'll go USB directly into my computer, or it will go lightning bolt directly into my iDevices. So, um, again, very useful because I now have a microphone slash interface for wherever I happen to be, whatever I happen to be doing. So, I'm curious here. What did the um, what did the Line Six guitar cost you? The Variax. Uh, it's about fifteen hundred. So now they do have a new model that's right, yeah. the Line Six Variac Standard, which is not one of the James Tylers, um, and it is about eight hundred, I think. Now it's it's a regular Strat kind of guitar. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got a little bit bulkier neck. I haven't actually gotten to try one out, but I do want to because, um, you know, with with hopefully a tour coming up soon and albums to record and what have you, I will, I will need a backup guitar I, as I, much as I hate to think about having to have a backup for my babies. I'm just fascinated. The fact that like, you know, let, let's just say like an SG an SG today you can get for about 1100 bucks. Right. Yep. And so mm-hmm. you can find some other 
like top end of the big brands for around fifteen hundred. Mm-hmm. So you can spend fifteen hundred dollars on one guitar, or you can spend fifteen hundred dollars on twenty nine guitars. And I obviously, again, being the gadget girl, go for the twenty nine. Yeah, and, and it's it's not like it was because I mean, you remember MIDI MIDI guitars back in like the early nineties, late eighties. Ouch. Yes. Exactly. Like I remember playing a MIDI bass rig. I think it was a PV rig and it wasn't bad. It was kind of cool that I could play something that resembled a flute on a bass guitar because just think about that, a flute mm-hmm. on a bass guitar. Just mm-hmm. everybody marinate on that for a minute. So I, I, sounds like something I'd do. Yeah, well, exactly. Right. But it, so it, it was neat, but the tracking was never there and it just never was that great. And I mean, you know, fast forward 20 years and now we're there. Right. And, and it keeps getting better. Mm-hmm. You know, we keep getting better with it. We keep improving the algorithms, whatever it is. So, and, you know, we make, we, we keep making, you know, progress with, with the, the, like, circuit technology, transistors, all that sort of stuff. The components get smaller and we can do more. Mm-hmm. It just, I mean, just wow, right? All right, so let's wrap this episode up here. Last thing I want to point out before we go. So Sue still lives in the Pittsburgh area. I live in the South Carolina, Charleston, South Carolina area. And, um, Sue, did you by any chance catch the guitar world with the edge on the cover? I did not actually. I have not gone. I have not been reading any guitar magazines for a really, really long time. I, I used to read them all as you as you well know oh, yeah. and then something just happened like i kept looking at them and there was nothing new like there just wasn't anything new coming out and i kind of got away from it for quite quite some time we could do a whole podcast on that because i have a whole theory around that so we'll have to probably do another episode but the october issue so i got i think the october issue came out in august the whole magazine publishing thing still blows my mind with you know it's never it's like it's oh it's the future but in the past or in the past in the future but Mm -hmm. the october issue has the edge on the cover um it's got some joe walsh warrant skillet or like the um the bands or whatever i think they're talking about the edge's signature strat is like the the feature but there was this article in there about um you know, the coolest guitar shops in America. Like I want to say like the eight coolest guitar stores. And one of my all time favorite Pittsburgh guitar stores, right. Made the list. Pittsburgh guitars. Mm-hmm. Pittsburgh they, guitars is amazing. I, I love those guys. Like, like I've, I've, you know, I've been shopping there for years, you know, like literally years. I bought, ironically, I bought three fenders from them. Um, and then, and, and my Martin, um, but so, like, I, I love the shop. It's a small shop, but it's it's a cool shop, you know. And I would love love to see, um, and I get to, get to see if we can figure out how to get Dave's um, guitar shop, my buddy Dave up in Butler, feature. But I I was thrilled to pick up a national magazine and see my favorite little shop in Pittsburgh featured because when I was you know home back in December, um, one of the first things I did when I had a free moment to myself was drive down to the South Side and wait for them to open and just go in and hang out. Right, because I love that shop, you know. And I mean, you and I, we spent hours there, you know, we in did. our youth and days and all that sort of stuff. Because we used to have our weekend where we would hit every guitar shop in the city. We did, you know. And sometimes we hit every guitar shop outside of the city. Uh, well, yeah, 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 absolutely true. But it was just, it was so cool to pick up a nationally publicized magazine and see Pittsburgh Guitars featured. So to John and the guys at Pittsburgh Guitars, congratulations. Um, I tweeted this out a while ago and I kept forgetting to mention on the podcast, but man, it was great to see you guys in a magazine. I miss all you guys. Boy, do I miss you guys. Um, but I, I'm going to do another episode coming up here soon about, um, about guitar shops. And so we'll kind of talk about that here coming up. All right. So speaking of guitar shops, um, I was talking last episode about my scuzz box. The scuzz box is here. It is still unopened, and I will be opening it up soon. Um, but that's going to be another episode. So Sue and I are going to wrap this up. So Sue, um, why don't you uh, plug your stuff there, and then we'll, we'll sign off. Awesome. Uh, SuzanneDecree.com, S-U-Z-A-N-N-E-D-E-C-R-E-E.com. Uh, got a course out right now, uh, Vibrant Guitar Chords. And uh, actually, I believe Aaron has a link from that. So if you actually buy it off of Aaron's link, 
you help him keep the podcast running, which so, is really, really cool. So now uh, I have to put the link up because, you know, like I've been a total slacker. Uh, you know, I kind of, I kind of figured, so I kind of weaseled it in there a little bit for you. That was good thinking on your part. I know, right? Um, so anyway, anything you need to know about chords, taking five basic major chords, turning them into minors, turning them into sevenths, major sevenths, minor sevenths, moving them up in the neck, basically an entire chord, everything I've learned in, um, you know, those <clears throat> years of playing guitar, huh. uh, wrapped up into one guitar chord course and... Like I said, if you buy it from the link that Aaron uh, will now be putting up on the website, you help him keep the podcast up and running. So hope to see you guys on the website soon. Yeah, we'll check it out. All right. So, Sue, thanks again for coming on. Um, and Sue and I have some other episodes planned in the works. Hopefully you'll be hearing us as well as some other guests here very soon. Um yeah, uh, since the last episode, we just keep coming up with ideas. So we got some stuff that will be coming up. And so, ladies and gentlemen, listeners, children, was it small furry animals of all ages? All ages, yes. Right. Um, until next time, everybody, make some noise. Make some noise.